The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, our show is about a journey into the heart of dispute resolution. Doesn't that sound wonderful? We are going to be interviewing a very special, wonderful attorney, mediator, who has been well-known all over the world. He's done so many wonderful things, and I have his book right here, and I have enjoyed it so much. It's called The Crossroads of Conflict, A Journey into the Heart of Dispute Resolution by Kenneth Cloak. And let me tell you about this guy. He is something else. Ken is a mediator, arbitrator, coach, consultant, trainer, and he is he has specialized in resolving complex multi-party conflicts, and designing conflict resolution systems. And he's the author of Mediating Dangerously, The Frontiers of Conflict Resolution. He's also the author of the book I just told you about, The Crosswords of Conflict, A Journey into the Heart of Dispute Resolution, and also Conflict Resolution, Conflict Revolution, Mediating Evil, War, Injustice, and Terrorism, And he's also co-author with Joan Goldsmith of Resolving Conflicts at Work, Eight Strategies for Everyone on the Job, and Resolving Personal and Organizational Conflict, Stories of Transformation and Forgiveness, and The End of Management and the Rise of Organizational Democracy, and also The Art of Waking People Up, Cultivating Awareness and Authenticity at Work. He's also at adjunct professor at Pepperdine University School of Law. He's and also several other universities, one in Amsterdam, even in New Zealand. He's done so much, and he has done conflict resolution in 20 countries, and he's the founder and past president of Mediators Beyond Borders, which is, a, 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 they have a website themselves for that as well. He is just terrific, and thank you so much, for taking time out of your busy day to join us today, Ken. Thank you, Mari. It's a pleasure. Well, I know you, for those of you who attended our mediation conference last year for the Orange County Mediation, Ken was our our keynote speaker. He was just terrific as well, and we just really appreciate him. So let's talk about this new book, which I think is fabulous. You talk about three paths of conflict. Tell us about those, Ken. Ken. Well, I think to begin with, um, we need to think for a moment about the nature of conflict. And uh, 
I think everyone has had the experience of being in conflict and feeling stuck. And the reason for being stuck, I believe, is because there are actually at least two paths forward, and we aren't certain which one to choose. So the first crossroads that we face is, are we going to behave badly, or are we going to calm down and try to have a conversation about the problem? Right. And I think everybody faces that crossroads. Right. After that crossroads, it turns out that there are a series of other crossroads, each one of which takes us deeper into the reasons for the conflict and opens up for us um, um, higher and higher orders of resolution. So if you can think about it a little bit this way, um, children, when they're very, very tiny, um, uh, do not have conflicts over romantic love. Right. And the reason is because they're not ready yet for them. And um, people in their 60s, we hope, don't have conflicts with their parents over curfew. <laughs> right. And the reason is because by that time, they have probably solved that problem. <laughs> so who gets conflicts? And the answer is defined, I believe, precisely as a crossroads that is created on the one hand by a problem that we are now required to solve, and on the other hand by the fact that we don't yet have the skills that we need in order to solve it. So what that means is every conflict that we face is an opportunity for transcendence, right. for learning, for growth, for the discovery of new techniques, new methods. Uh, here's an illustration. Uh, babies also get into conflicts with other babies over who gets to play with the toys. And these conflicts take place exactly at a crossroads that happens because we start off as babies um, with what scientists call parallel play. And that just means there's nobody but us and the toy in front of us. And the other child who wants to play with the toy is not even understood as a possible partner or anything. We just see the toy. Uh, later, as we begin to discover the other person, the opportunities for what's called cooperative play begin to arise. But we don't yet know how to say, um, pass the toy to me and I'll pass it back. Um, or we may not have the skills to be able to pass it back because we're too needy and want the toy entirely for ourselves. And so the transition from parallel play to cooperative play is one that requires the development of a set of social skills, skills in being able to communicate what you want, what you'd like to see happen, um, what uh, uh, you're going to do maybe if it doesn't happen, um, and to really communicate with another person who has different ideas than you do. And it turns out that's rather complex. So sometimes we have this conflict uh, because it's a crossroads for us continuing throughout our later life. But what the conflicts that we get around playing with other children about with the toys on the playground are really about is learning the skills that are necessary in order to share them. And it turns out that that's a, a kind of higher-order set of skills that we require, much higher than the skill of just being able to grab the toy and play with it ourselves. Right. But along with it come a set of higher-order outcomes, which are, it's a lot more fun. 
to play with somebody uh, than to just be alone playing by ourselves. So it's exactly the same thing in conflict resolution. So um, what we're looking at, I think, are really kind of three orders of crossroads. And the first order is the very simple one that I described before, which is, are we going to behave badly or are we going to sit down and talk? Right. Um, are we going to be able to figure out how to control our anger and our fear and our sense of loss? Or are we going to succumb to those um, and not be able to handle them? And then the second uh, is, once we've figured out that it's possible to talk to the person that we are angry with or frightened of or are you know, sort of um, worried about, then the question is, how deep a conversation are we going to have with them? And the next uh, crossroads for us is, are we going to blame them uh, and um, just sort of uh, make judgments ab about them, negative judgments about them that reinforce our emotions? Or are we going to listen? Are we going to experience empathy uh, and acceptance? Are we going to act respectfully and honestly uh, toward the other person? Uh, and then there's a third crossroads, a third order of problem solving, I think, which is the ability to create heart-to-heart -heart conversations with people that we care about. And that requires a much higher order of skill. Um, and what happens is we get the conflicts in our lives that point us to the skills that we don't have. Uh, and if that's the case, then the role of the mediator and conflict resolver should be thought of very differently. And how we think of our own conflicts um, needs to um, incorporate within it um, the possibility of our own growth and learning. Right. So that's the kind of basic idea. And then the book is really about different problems once you assume that. Um, problems that, that kind of have to be overcome. Mm -hmm. Why is it that people are usually most drawn to that first path, dealing with the you know, anger, the fear, the confrontation, all that? Why, why is that? Well, it turns out that there are a series of things uh, that we get from our conflicts. And we don't ordinarily think of these things as um, necessarily, um, uh, you know, kind of important to us at the time that we are in the conflict. But if we stop and think about it, we, we get a lot of stuff from conflict. In the first place, uh, conflict gives our lives meaning. Um, and... Uh, having somebody that we're opposed to is a very quick and easy way to know who we are. It's a source of identity because we are whatever they aren't. So um, if the other person is bad, we must be dot, 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 fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Obviously, what fills in the blank is good. Right. So the more we define the other person as bad, the more we appear good to people who side with us. Mm -hmm. uh, the second is that conflict gives us energy. Uh, it's negative energy, but it's still energy. And we get um, uh, a kind of adrenaline uh, hit, uh, which is a sort of drug, uh, and we can get addicted to it. Um, we also, conflict 
um, uh, helps us divert attention from our weaknesses, um, from topics that we would rather not talk about. Uh, it creates what I call negative intimacy. So if you just ask yourself this question, um, if I uh, am in a relationship with someone that is breaking up, what would I rather the other person feel, anger or indifference, at the beginning of the process of breaking up? Well, obviously, you want him to be angry. <laughs> of course. And why would you say angry, Mari? And you'd say you want them to be angry because then they at least have some emotion about it, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so anger equals caring. Right. It shows that you mattered right. um, and that you, you, know, you, you were somebody who's important to them, whereas indifference shows they never cared about you at all. But now once you've met somebody new, you would rather that they feel indifference. Right. So what that means is anger is a form of negative intimacy. Um, mm -hmm. It's a kind of negative relationship that we can establish. And there are others as well. Uh, conflict actually gets results, um, uh, especially from uh, bureaucrats who are sort of forced to listen to us. Um, and, def and without a doubt, uh, sometimes respond to yelling better than they do to calm requests. And that's because they want to avoid a crisis, um, but uh, sometimes they don't. And but what uh, happens, of course, to us uh, isn't necessarily uh, very attractive. Right. So and finally, there's yeah. a final point, which is okay. conflict sometimes creates change. And so this is personal change, familial change, social change. Um, relation, changes in relationships, changes in the workplace. And so sometimes what people do when they want to change is they turn up the heat. Right. Uh, but when you turn up the heat, somebody's going to get burned. And the question is, can you create the change without necessarily resulting in somebody getting burned? And the answer is absolutely. Yes. And the way that you do that is using communication skills and collaborative negotiation skills. Right. So, so that's the basic we, idea. Yeah. So when we, and I guess we can even take anger and conflict and, and look at the other side of the coin. I mean, yes, it can be negative and yes, it can be positive. And you started to explain those. And so when, when someone gets angry, a lot of times that is an automatic reaction. They're angry because somebody has hurt them. They're angry because someone says something mean to them. They're angry because they have some loss or whatever. So anger in it and of itself is a signal. It's just how we deal with the anger. Mm -hmm. We can use it for, again, the negative, or we can use it for the positive and say, okay, I'm angry enough that I'm going to take ac action. I don't have to be nasty. I can use the kind of communication skills that you're talking about, Ken. I can use those and say, this is not comfortable for me. I really can't do this. I need to do something different. Let's talk about what we can do. Yes. So, so that's using your anger to, to motivate you to do something different because that's a, that's a normal symbol. So, you know, we, I just want my audience to understand we're not saying, and I know Ken isn't saying that you can stop your anger because there's never any way you can stop it because it's automatic, but you can transform it. Yes. And, and that's exactly. the important issue. And the same thing with conflict, you know, conflict again, for me, Conflict represents often just a different perspective. 
and it doesn't mean that it has to escalate into a, a you know a battle an, a, a communicative battle or nor does it have to be a war but mm-hmm. it it like you said a few minutes ago it can be a catalyst for a creative solution especially if you use the kind of communication skills that Ken uses and that I try to use in all of my mediations as well is like how do we turn this from an adverse you know yelling match or angry match to one that transforms into problem solving well there are thousands of ways but i'd like to give you one really big one uh and the really big one comes from an understanding um that basically can be everybody can get to just by answering um sort of looking at the following question um uh do, uh, do you get angry over things you don't care about? And the answer is no. No. Mm-hmm. People don't. Right. Therefore, anger is about caring. And the subtext that you're describing, the, 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 what anger is actually pointing to, is the possibility of a deeper conversation about caring. So... It turns out that rather than trying to, you know, sort of stop your anger in, as your adrenaline is pumping through your body, there's another approach to it. Uh, and you can do this in one step or two steps. Here, here are two different ways of getting there. First, um, what would make me act like that or say that? What would have had to have happened to me for me to have behave the way this other person is behaving toward me now. And that's a way of stimulating your own empathy for the other person and trying to imagine what really might have happened to them. And if that's the case, then you can start to ask a question like, um, what happened to you that has made you feel so strongly about this? Um, Or just, why do you feel so strongly about this? And that's the beginning of the introduction of a different kind of conversation, which is a conversation about what you care about. And that's why the subtitle is A Journey into the Heart of Dispute Resolution, because that's a heart-based conversation. Anytime you talk about what you care about, you're having a heart-based conversation. And so, for example, um, I do a lot of family mediations. And in family mediations, I often begin the conversation with this question. Uh, What words, this is to each member of the family, asking each member to answer it, what words would you use to describe the kind of family you most want to have? Hmm. The one who says, I want a family that's respectful, feels disrespected. Right. And now we can have two conversations. One is a conversation about everything everybody has done that has been disrespectful. And the second is a conversation that says, would you all like to be us to be respectful towards one another? And can we agree that we're going to act respectfully? And the one who says, um, I want a family that's honest, feels lied to. Right. And so you've just gotten a lot of information that you can go back to. But meanwhile, there's a second step you can take this to. So we say, you know, one word is respectful, another word is honest. Um, there are a series of other words. And at the end of that process, I say, does anyone disagree with any of these words? 
nobody has ever disagreed right. out of hundreds of these mediations that I've done. Nobody right. has disagreed with any of the words. And then I say, congratulations, you have just uh, reached consensus. You are actually uni- united as a family. This is a commonality, right? It's a commonality. They're united over those things. And then I take it to the next step. And that's kind of shocking to them to think that they actually agree with each other because they've been <laughs> fighting for so long. And then the next question is, are you prepared to begin living up to those words right now? And, and, and how about defining what it means for each one? You know, what does yeah, it mean to exactly. you to be... Submit? And that's, that's, that's another part of the conversation. Right, is, right. Uh, how do we begin living up to these words? Do you have any questions about how to do this? And can anyone who is here, this is the question I usually end with before starting the conversation, can any of us uh, stop the conversation and call us on it if we're not living up to those words? And right. everybody says yes. Yeah. And now the conversation is completely different. So now, what is it that we are doing that in any of your minds is not living up to those words, that isn't honest, that isn't respectful? But now we enter the conversation about conflict from a very, very different point of view, which is from the point of view of what people desire. Right. And who doesn't want a family that is respectful and honest? Right. So um, the idea of it really, more basic than that, is to ask people to go to a place of caring that is actually deeper than their anger right. and um, introduce it to them as a way of um, addressing and transforming their anger into something creative. Right. Now, here's, a, what it, here's the creative piece. The reason that they're angry is because something is happening that isn't working for somebody. Yes. Um, If we can fix that and make it so that that piece is working for everybody, that's really creative, and that's a higher form of family. And that is absolutely possible. Um, It's not always easy, but it's absolutely possible to do. Right. When people can define what they mean by respect. I think that helps as well because someone in the family might not understand that something that they did was disrespectful. So if you turn it to the positive, you know, respectful would be to me that, you know, you talk in a nice tone of voice and someone might not even realize that they're using a nasty tone of voice. Exactly. Uh, And oftentimes what it is, uh, the disrespect is actually simply the flip side of your own need that you haven't been able to express uh, or express clearly enough to somebody else. So another thing that I do is I do um, some marital mediations. I don't know if you do those also. Sure, I do those, yeah. I thought Mm -hmm. you did. So those are really interesting where couples are trying to keep their relationship together, and it's different from couples therapy um, because the basic idea of it is um, we're focusing on the conflicts that people get into right. and figuring out, is there a better way for them to argue with each other? Right. So what oftentimes happens is people get over into big fights over little things, and then they feel sort of silly afterwards because that was really ridiculous and it was petty and it wasn't worth all that energy. But what was worth all that energy was the meaning of that little trivial thing that happened. 
Right, the buttons that got pushed. Yes. So the question is, which one do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the fact that somebody didn't put a dirty fork into the dishwasher? Or do you want to talk about what it means to you that they didn't do that? Right. Uh, And what it means to you is they don't respect you. Um, That's one piece. Or your time. Yeah. They may not respect your time. They may not respect your time. Another equal piece on the other side is um, the uh, person who is angry about the dirty fork um, is uh, probably assuming that if the other person doesn't pick it up, they will have to. Yeah. In other words, it's their obligation right. to do it. And uh, so that's another conversation that we can have. But the basic idea of it really is, um, can we talk about these things instead of yelling and screaming about the stuff that isn't going to lead us to a deeper appreciation of the real crossroads that we are at in our relationship? Because the dirty fork in the sink is actually a sign that the relationship is just a little bit stalled, a little bit stuck in a small place. And it's a little bit like plate tectonics. So if one, you know, the the plates on the earth moves and, you know, or tries to move and gets stuck, there's going to be an earthquake once it actually breaks through. How California and, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, trying to add a little local color yes, here. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically the object of this is to say, wait a minute, if we're getting into a fight over this, something is going on here. And if now we can take a look at what it is that's actually going on, and the only way that you can figure that out is for the people to sit down and talk about it. Right. It it is a talking cure because we don't really understand it from the inside out. It is a relational problem, and that means we have to discuss it. And then we have to negotiate what a solution is going to be. And there's no single correct answer to what's going to happen with the dirty fork in the sink. Maybe there's an agreement that there can be t- exactly 10 pieces of crockery, you know, or, or uh, forks in the sink before um, something happens. Or maybe it's that, you know, somebody will leave a note or say, you know, something in a humorous way or whatever it might happen to be. I mean, there are a thousand different solutions to the problem. But the, the problem that needs to be solved isn't the fork. It's respect. Exactly. Um, it's communication. It's the place where people are not paying attention to what each other need, uh, needs, uh, what the other person needs. Right. And I think one of the things to even be able to get there where you could have that conversation, I know I have to deal with this with my clients, and that is sometimes they're so wound up emotionally that they haven't physiologically been able to calm their body yeah. So th- because their body seems to take over, yeah. you know, and they, you know, I'll say something like, okay, relax your stomach muscle or, or let's just breathe into this. Let's take a minute to just breathe for a few minutes because mm-hmm. if things get hot, just because the body, the physiological body automatically responds in that fight or flight or whatever. And, um, and you have to get to be able to get to that conversation. You really have to get into that calm mode to even mm-hmm. be open to hearing, right? Absolutely. And it turns out that uh, within the brain, there are 
what are called dual pathways. So one is the pathway of adrenaline that's actually triggered by a little place, uh, two little places in the brain that are called the amygdala. And amygdala means almond in Greek, and it's a little thing that's right around the center of your brain, one on your left and one on your right side of your brain. And you have two trunk lines that go essentially from your eyes and your ears uh, to your brain. One goes to the your eyes especially, if you, one goes to the prefrontal cortex, and then another goes directly to the amygdala. Um, and so when you see something that is scary, or when you experience something that is threatening, um, the amygdala goes into overtime, immediately sends a message to the adrenal glands to start pumping adrenaline, and that's when things begin to start heating up for you. So while you're sitting there trying to listening to listen, your legs are getting ready to run, and your arms are getting ready to hit. Uh, and so the second pathway is called tend and befriend. And it's mediated by another neurochemical, a neurotransmitter that's called oxytocin. And we're almost out of time. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So <laughs> what we're going to have to do is we're uh, going to have to have people get your book because we are just about out of time here. And we're going to have to learn to be able to go through the crossroads of conflict to get to the journey of the heart. And thank you so much. We have to have you back again. Talk about you, all this great pleasure. stuff. You are wonderful. All right. Thank you so much. And, and we will talk to you soon. You I been, hope so. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every week for Prescriptions for Healing Conflict and go to our website at Conflict Healing. Dot com, And we would love to hear from you about what your concerns are about resolving conflict and healing conflict in your own life. Thank you and hope you'll join us next week at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. It's about trust. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.